Everybody doing well this morning? I'm so glad to be with you here on Easter Sunday. It's good to see everybody out there. You're looking good. You know that? You're all looking good. We're going to be, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 23 and Luke 24. If you don't, it's okay. It'll be on the screen. And this morning, we are continuing in a series for Easter that's called It's Not Over Yet. And so here's where we've been. Inevitably, in your life, you will hit a roadblock. You will hit a set of circumstances that are so tough that you don't think that you're going to get through it. And you might even say, man, it's all over. My life is done as I know it. It is over. But I want you to know something. In Jesus, there is hope that it's not over yet. And we're going to look at pictures and scenes in the Bible, and especially here, we're going to look at the, the scene at the cross and then the scene at the tomb in which Jesus' followers had hit this roadblock. They had been blindsided by his death on the cross, and they didn't know where to go, but on Resurrection Sunday, he got up and brought hope. So this morning, we're going to talk about this roadblock that, and a subject that is just so much fun that people love to talk about, that people just clamor to hear talked about, and that is death. Yeah. And some of you are thinking, dude, it's Easter. Little heavy, huh? I mean, I'm thinking, well, you came in, you may have been thinking, I'm just thinking chocolate bunnies, bro. I'm thinking, I wish that one that's this tall, I wish it was solid. So, you know what I mean? It's hollow on the inside. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Easter baskets. I'm thinking dinner with my family. I'm thinking ham. I'm thinking about everything but death. I'm thinking about how I'm going to confuse my kids by telling them that a rabbit lays eggs. <sighs> and then hiding them. It's going to be fun, okay? And then there's stuff in the eggs, okay? It's crazy, all right? We're thinking all this good, fun stuff, and then this guy at church is going to talk to you about death. But I want to tell you, it is very important today that we talk about this. And there's, I'm going to give you some reasons why to try to convince you that on this day that it is worthy of talking about death. And the first thing I want you to know is why I talk about death on Easter because it's a wise thing to do. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The Bible said it is wise for us to know that our days are limited and to know that our life is short. The Bible says it's wisdom. Second thing we see is we need, why do we need to think about death at Easter? Well, one real, cl one clear way is James 4.14 says this, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, for a little time, and then it vanishes. He says life is like dew that appears in the morning on the grass to get your feet wet on the way to your car, and then is gone by the time the heat of the day arrives. He said, that's how short life is. And we don't like to think about life that way. 
We write songs. In fact, our pop music tells us all the time that we're going to be young forever, that we're never getting older. That is simply not the case. If you'll believe me, go look at yourself in pictures from 10 years ago. You got older, okay? You probably lost some hair somewhere, maybe gained some weight somewhere, maybe, maybe something got a little grayer, maybe something fell apart a little more. That lets you know that we are, we are going to get older and, and death is coming. We don't like to think about that. Life is a vapor. Have you ever seen one of these before? This is a timer from a board game. I have a picture. In case you can't see this, I got a picture of it back here. There you go. Have you, have, you, have you seen these? This thing may have caused you some marital problems, okay? Because you might have been playing a game with your husband, um, wife, or, or even family problems, okay? Or friend problems, all right? You got this thing out there, and what are you supposed to do in some games? Like, you turn the timer over, and you got a certain amount of time to do what? To, to play the game. And as the time gets quicker, everybody gets kind of upset with each other, and all of the, the just that that anxiety of the time ticking away. My dear wife is good at so many things, but doing something in a rush is not one of them. She will try to break something quick, okay? Trying to, if you rush her, it's like, we got to go. It is, I might as well just tell her, like, something bad's going to happen. Like, the house is on fire. Because, like, oh, my gosh, things are flying everywhere. It's breaking, glass shards getting in her, you know, hands. she got a board hanging out of her head. And something's going to happen to her. I love you, sweetie. Something's going to happen to her when I tell her to rush, but I want you to know something, that the Bible says it's wise to know that your days are numbered, and the Bible says that your days are like a vapor, here today in the morning gone, like grass that withers. And so there is a timer. We don't like to think about that. We do everything we can to avoid it. We go, la, 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 don't want to hear it. We put it out of our minds. We don't, we don't try to think about death. We don't try to talk about death until it's absolutely necessary. Till it hits us, till it hits our home, till it hits our family, till it hits somebody else. We don't want to talk about it, but I want you to know something. The time is short, and it is ticking off the clock. Your days are numbered. They're written down. You've been given the days. The days of your life are ordained, and there is a day to be born, and there is a day to die. And the time's ticking away. And I want to be honest with you. If we knew, if we would like really like thought about the fact that time is ticking away, we would probably not do some of the things that we do. We probably wouldn't check Facebook on our phones as much as we do. Probably wouldn't be on Instagram as much as we are. We probably wouldn't do this or that. Not that those things are wrong, but sometimes how much time have we wasted playing little apps on the phone and playing a game where you're trying to catch all the dots or whatever, trying to crush candy or whatever you're doing? We've got to realize that time is ticking away. And you can imagine if somebody was in the grocery store with you. And you're trying to go buy groceries and somebody was reminding you and got a timer. It's like, your time's ticking. You're wasting daylight. You're wasting life. Go, go, go. Get the sugar. I mean, can you imagine the tension that would be there? Can you imagine how, how much? The, and I just want you to know that it's wise to know your days are numbered. The clock is ticking. Your life is short. It's wise to think about that. You can put it off for another day, but you shouldn't. Why? Man, it's Easter. Why talk about death? Because it is a reality. And it is horrible. Death is not natural. In one sense, it is, and that's where everybody ends up. It has a 100% mortality rate. That, that is where you end up. However, 
when you when you've been to a funeral and you have seen your loved one in that casket as though they were asleep you know that void in your heart you know that ache that says this is not right and it says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. We were made to live forever. And sin is the problem. Sin has brought upon us death. The Bible's really clear about that. And if you don't take anything away, if you could just remember this verse as you walk out of here today, you will know. Because when you get to lunch and, you, and someone asks you, hey, what did the preacher talk about? I don't know. He had a timer. It was weird. If you can remember this, you've succeeded. And it's this, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Death is not natural, it's a cause of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first part of this message, we are going to focus on this idea that the wages of sin is death. And death is not a small thing. Death is a big thing. In fact, in the Bible, it, it really shows us that apart from Jesus, we are super dead. Like, dead three times over. In fact, the Bible describes death in three ways. And we are dead in three ways apart from Jesus. It says this, there's a threefold death, and we hear it. We are dead spiritually because of sin. Now, we will die physically because of sin, eventually. And thirdly, we will die eternally being punished for our sins after death. So there's a threefold nature to that. There's a now, there, and there's a future nature to death. Now we are dead spiritually. What does that look like? It is this, that we don't have any affection or, or love or what, desire to do God's will apart from our own. You may have been here. When I was a little kid, I could not wait to be free of church. They would give me a bulletin, and I would check off the boxes because they used to put the order of what they were going to do on that. And I'd be like, yes, it's almost over. Yes, it's almost over. Yes, it's almost over. Then the pastor said, oh, my last point, and we knew it was not over yet. It was going to be longer. And then, then, yes, it's over. And then I got home, and it was like glorious. You take off those church clothes, okay? And you, get, you get, take that off, and you're like, yes, this is the longest possible time for more church. You may have been there. I was. I didn't care about the things of God. I cared about not getting in trouble. But I didn't care about the things of God. What happened? The Lord showed me my spiritual death. And now I know spiritual life. And now I desire and have a longing to know Jesus. That is spiritual death. It affects all of us. It's our default settings. You got a cell phone. I bet it's in your pocket right now. Mine's sitting in that bag. It's on silent. Actually, it's on airplane mode just so it won't go crazy. On that, if you get a phone, you know what happens when you get your phone. It comes with default settings. It's the way it is. You know, you go in. As soon as you get the phone, you want to change your apps. You want to move things around. You change the wallpaper. But if something happens to that, you can always reset your phone, and it goes back to the default settings. Our default settings are sin and spiritual death. We're born that way, and we perpetuate that stereotype by sinning and not loving God as we ought, not loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or loving our neighbor as yourself. If you want to know, if, if you want to see your spiritual death, just go drive in downtown Nashville. I was there Friday night. I wanted to murder people. My default settings, apart from Christ, were very, I'm like, why are you, why are you the way you are? It is wrong to be that dumb, Okay. You are driving a motor vehicle which can murder people. Come on. 
Maybe you've been there. If you want to see spiritual death, all right, you see it there. Secondly, physical death is what we see. It's, it's, we will all die because of sin, and we will experience death, and not only that, eternal death. And I want you to take you to someplace this morning. As we look at the first Easter, we have to, before we get to Easter, we need to go to Friday. And on Friday, there was a horrible death of Christ that is witnessed by his, his friends and some of his disciples and, and even some of his family members, including his mother. And if you would, and we're going to see how death affects these people and the robot that they hit. In Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says this, it was the sixth hour, which going by the Jewish timetable would have been noon. So it's noon. In verse 44 of Luke chapter 23, it says this, it was now the sixth hour, noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, which would be three o'clock. So from noon to three o'clock, there was darkness. Judging by the Jewish calendar, this would not have been a time when an eclipse would have occurred. This was not an eclipse. This was a divine darkness that showed God's displeasure with the sins of man and showed the weight of sin being transferred to the sinless Son of God, Jesus, who was tried illegally and as an innocent man placed on the cross. And darkness showed the ugliness of this sin. And it was dark from noon to three. It was undeniable, this darkness. And then it says, the darkness was over the whole land until the ninth hour. Verse 45 says, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the fact that the curtain rep- represented a, 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 a division between God and man, and it was ripped in two at this time. In verse 46 it says this, and Jesus calling out with a loud voice, he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now this is the culmination. Jesus' final breaths are the culmination of a long, long process. He was arrested. He was tried illegally. He was beaten He was mocked. He had the hairs of his beard pulled out. They put a crown of thorns on him. They mocked him by saying he's the king of the Jews. He had to try to carry his cross. Ultimately, he became too weak because of the floggings and the beatings that he had and lack of sleep that he had endured. Somebody named Simon had to carry the cross beam to the hill of the skull, which is known as Golgotha or Calvary. And at that point, they crucified him. They nailed him to a tree. And in further mockery, they put a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews in many languages so that everybody could see the ridicule. The king of the Jews being crucified. Next to him were two thieves. One thief continued to mock him. The, pe- the people standing there were saying, come on down. If you're the king of the Jews, just get on down. If you're powerful enough, call down angel armies. And the Son of God could have done that, but in complete submission to the Father's will, he hung on the cross and he bled and he groaned bearing the weight of sin. And his friends were looking at that. His mom was there. We know at least one of the disciples, John, was there, and many other ladies were there witnessing his demise. And Jesus, in in an effort to show his power over death, gives his life up on his own accord. It says, he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Like, I, you're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. And he breathed those words, and he gave up his spirit. And the Son of God, in the flesh, died. <laughs> it is evident that this man is God. 
And you see it in verse 47. Now when the centurion, who was a official, who would have been in charge of 100 hundred men under his, under his care, kind of like a major or a captain, when he saw what had taken place, he probably, I mean, the whole scene, he forgave that thief on the cross next to him. He said, can I be in your kingdom, Lord? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He saw the way that when he was mocked and beaten that Jesus did not revile in return. He received the blows and did not give blows back. He just accepted this punishment. And when that happens, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. They had a lot of chances to prove Jesus' innocence. (laughs) They were evident. Pilate wanted to free him. Herod, the other governor that's in the play here, wanted to free him because he was innocent. The crowd had the opportunity to free him by letting a known murderer named Barabbas free or to keep him in prison and let Jesus free. But you know what they, you know what they cried when Pilate tried to get them to release Barabbas? They said, give us Jesus, crucify him. And so his innocence is evident. And his lifeless body hangs there. Verse 48, that crowd that was chanting crucified him now feels great shame. And all the crowd that was assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. That's not the, the breast beating of pride. That's the, what did we do? In verse 49, we see where these ladies and these close companions of Jesus, they've witnessed this. And verse 49, it says, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. They had come face to face with death. They are encountering death. They are seeing the one whom they have put their hope in for eternal life, Jesus. They're seeing his life extinguished. You can imagine that, they, that he's a friend of them, he's a master of them, he's a son to Mary, he is all these things. They've seen him as this teacher of eternal life, and they see all these hopes ex- extinguished. They have seen firsthand the power of death, the power of spiritual death they have seen in the actions of the people who put Jesus to death. They have firsthand accounts of seeing the heinous nature of humanity that apart from God's saving works, we all yell, crucify him. We all have a bent towards our own way and not God's way. And it's evident by the way the crowds cried out and the way the governors were in dereliction of their duty to to uphold the innocent. There was face to face with these people. They had encountered spiritual death. Secondly, Jesus' followers there, they were encountering physical death. This is what happens. Jesus' body hung there, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. It's in the next part of the scripture. We don't have time to read it today, but go and check it out if you get a chance. It's at the end of chapter 23 here. What happens is a guy named Joseph Arimathea, he has a tomb that has just been finished, and he goes to Pilate and says, I want Jesus' body. And so he takes Jesus from the cross, and he moves Jesus to this borrowed tomb that nobody has been in before, and they move his body there. And then we see in verse 55 of Luke 23 that the women and those who are Jesus' acquaintances, they are watching. It says in verse 55, the, went, the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb 
and how his body was laid. They saw his limp body come off the cross. They followed him as his limp body was laid in the borrowed tomb. Then it says, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments, which was a common practice, kind of like we embalm here, but they would put spices and ointments on the body, wrap it up, and prepare it for burial. It was the Sabbath day coming. They couldn't do all this stuff that day. Because Saturday was coming. It was Passover Saturday, pa- Passover Sabbath as well. So they couldn't do all this stuff. They got all the things ready. Then Sunday came, and they had to wait. I want you to think about this for a second. They have been face-to-face with physical death. We've all been in that same place. We have come and seen the encounter of being in that uncomfortable, awkward situation, of being in that funeral home, being in that room, seeing our loved ones, taking their last breath, seeing them die and knowing the heartache and the pain and Jesus' followers were not kept from that pain. They saw the Son of God who they put all their hope in. They saw his life extinguished before them. They saw his limp body come off the cross. They saw his beat body put in the tomb and he was dead. There are some people who I like to call morons who believe that Jesus did not die. You don't come back from what he went through. Finally, if you go back, I just want you to know this, because there's so many people that think Jesus was just kind of worn out from being crucified, and they took him off the cross, and they laid him in the tomb, and he just got his strength back because the rocks were cold, you know, kind of like laying on a tile floor, and he just hopped right up. Let me tell you something. That's insane. That's craziness. He died. In fact, they would have witnessed this to make sure he was dead because he gave up his own spirit. And usually people who were crucified hung on for days and days and days and days unless they broke their legs and they suffocated that way. What happened was at the end to make sure Jesus was dead, you know what they did? They took a spear, they ran it through his side, more than likely for blood and water. They would have had to, you know, biologically, his heart would have had to have been pierced for that to happen. And so this man, Jesus, the God-man, was dead. And his followers saw his dead body in the tomb. And they had encountered seeing their loved one, the one who they put so much trust in and followed around. They saw him dead. And not only that, they probably feared for their own death because if the, if the leader goes, the follower usually follows after. And the crucifixion might have been on agenda. Some people were looking for them. Let me get to the third thing. I want you to know this, that they not only encountered spiritual death, they not only encountered physical death, but they encountered, Jesus' followers encountered eternal death. They had put their hopes in Jesus for eternal life. At one point, Jesus said some weird things when he was, remember Jesus was a huge, Jesus did all sorts of things. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed a bunch of people with a kid's meal, you know, a happy meal. He took the, the five loaves and two fish, and he broke it out and let everybody eat. You know, he did all that stuff. They had seen his teachings. They heard him talking about the kingdom, of God, the kingdom of God. They had come to believe he was the Messiah. And there was a situation in which Jesus had a huge crowd, and he wanted to thin the crowd out, which is kind of the opposite of what we try to do sometimes. But he wanted to thin the crowd out. You know what he did? He looked at them, and he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, say what? And they was talking about the fact that you need to trust in the eternal death of Jesus. He was pointing, already pointing to that. He's going to the cross. And there were people missed that, and a bunch of people left. And Jesus turns to his disciples and his followers. He says, you going to leave too? And Peter says, where can we go? You have the words to eternal life. But you want you to know something. They could never grasp this, that he had to die so that they could live. 
And so they had seen their hopes just dashed. And now they got all the spices and the burial equipment ready to go and take care of his body the next day. Can you imagine how dark a Saturday that would have been? Going to church and it seems like hope is gone. I want you to know something. We will all encounter death in some way. And it will get dark. It might be our own death that we're thinking about. Our own demise. Our own end. And how will that come? Will it come from a long battle of illness? Will it come from a freak accident? I did a lot of work in youth ministry, and there was this game we used to play, and this used to bother me, like, how am I going to die and how it would be so undignified as a youth minister, okay? We're always doing weird things. And so the, when I was a youth minister, we do this game where you take a bunch of marshmallows and you put them in your mouth. And then you try to say Chubby Bunny. Chubby Bunny. Have you ever heard that game before? And I, and I heard a story about someone who died playing that game. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, could you imagine if that's the way you died? Local pastor dies by choking on marshmallow playing Chubby Bunny. Oh, my gosh. How humiliating would that be? And sometimes we think about that. We think about our own demise and think about our own end, and it's just this black hole of darkness. And then we think even worse about the lo- loss of other people. And we think this is a, th- how, can we, how can we ever make it? And I want you to know something. The way we usually deal with death is just to run away from it and to not, and to not really deal with it. And we find little small hopes in the fact that hey, I got this many more years left of life, and you know this. We find this hope here, and they're all usually, all usually fading hopes because we, apart from Christ coming, will all end up in a casket. Where's our hope at? These people were sitting there, and they were in the room, and you had a whole Saturday to think about it. Last night, I was so pumped to be here with you guys and here with our church family and to talk about Jesus' resurrection. I had problems sleeping. You've been, maybe you've been one of those dark nights where you have all the weight of the world hanging on you, and the worst thing you could do is be still and have nothing to do, so you try to fill your life with everything else. They had nothing to do because Sabbath day, they could not work, and they were sitting there and on their mantle or in their house where they were were all the spices and all all the oils that they were going to have to go and take to the body. And so now when, when Sunday arrives, the first day of the week, they got to go and face the body. Death is real. It's nasty. It's not natural and it's awful. But it's beaten. Luke 24 says, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday in their calendar, On the first day of the week, at the early morning, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Why did they bring the spices? To prepare the dead, lifeless body of Jesus to remain and decompose. So they are expecting to see death when they go to a tomb, just like when you go to a funeral, like when you go go to a, um, a cemetery, you expect the neighbors not to be that noisy. You know what I mean? I mean, it's death there. And so they go with that in mind. And verse 2 says, and they found the stone rolled away. From the tomb. Now, first off, this would have been very weird. I got a new building at my house. I bought like one of those like metal buildings to put all my extra junk in, a storage building. And the building when, when the guy came and set it up, he leveled it out. And what happened is is kind of the ground settled and now my door doesn't latch exactly right because I need to get it. I'm kind of an idiot, so I need to like just to learn how to get it jacked up and got to shim it out so where it'll be flat and so the door will connect, you know, exactly. 
Not done that yet. So every now and then I'll get home and the back of my, my, the doors of my shed are like wide open. Okay, if you know where I live, please don't just steal my stuff. Okay, I, I, I appreciate you not doing that. They just be wide open, and I go back, and they're like, what's happening? And that's what happened. And this is out of place. This stone, which would have been amazingly heavy, was moved. The Roman soldiers that Pilate had put over there so nobody would steal the body, they're gone. Roman soldiers don't leave their post. That's usually a death sentence. All evidence that this is actually true, folks. It's not a fairy tale. And so they walk up, and something's not right. This stone's rolled back. So what happens? They got braver than I am because they go in. When they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Where's the, where's the body? <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. We brought spices for it. Where's the body? And then we see, verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. You can imagine the fright that they got to being in a tomb, an open tomb, not finding the body, and all of a sudden, two people in white, obviously angels show up to remind them of what Jesus had said. And it says they have the same, they have a good reaction, and they were frightened. If you want to just play a joke on somebody, go to a cemetery and grab their leg at the bottom <laughs> while they don't see it. Freak them out. Oh, they're grabbing me. You think about this. No, duh, they were frightened. You heard this story before, and you may think, you may think, oh, yeah, they were frightened. No, they were just petrified. Besides the fact that they see angels, which is also insane. And so what happens, they are just free. They hit the ground. They are so scared. And the angel says, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? You brought spices to bury him. He's not dead. He's alive. And remember these words that he spoke? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still alive in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered these words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. He called it. He did it. He's the only one who could call his death and call his life. He died. He is risen. It's a historically verifiable fact. You can see it throughout the fact that he, he spoke to these people after his resurrection. He ate fish with them. He, he appeared to over 5,000 people at one time, so you can't have a mass hallucination. He is risen. And because of that, boy, he whipped death like somebody whipped up your scrambled eggs this morning. He, he crushed death like somebody's going to crush your mashed potatoes today at lunch. He whooped it. He is the only one that could. He is not dead. He is alive. And because of that, the threefold blackness of death has been defeated by the shed blood of Jesus. And because of that, all aspects of death, you are super dead in your sins you were dead spiritually, you will die physically, and you will die eternally apart from the work of Jesus. But in Jesus, there is victory in all aspects of those ways of death. Don't believe me? The Apostle Paul helps us see this. He comes and he beats spiritual death. Look at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's talking about spiritual death here. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead 
in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He takes spiritually dead people and make them spirit, makes them spiritually alive people through faith in Jesus and what he has accomplished. And that is amazing. And I think about this. Sometimes we don't understand what spiritual death is, especially somebody who is far away from the things of God. They can't understand the spiritual death. And I want you to know this. I didn't understand spiritual death either until I became alive. And then I was like, oh, I was so dead to the things of God. I so didn't care about those things and how I love those things. I used to look at Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card and not as a Savior and Lord with this relationship. I used to look at Jesus. I used to look at church a thing. I do, therefore God, God likes me. I endure it. I endure the boredom. Therefore, God will like me. And that is not what it is. There's a new affection that arose, and it's kind of like this. When I was a kid, my parents used to go to this great steakhouse, and I would beg and plead with them to take me to McDonald's, get me McDonald's before. What was I thinking? I was choosing chicken glue, goop, covered in something fried that had been in existence for probably 17 years at the time I'm eating it, that was reconstituted and fried and handed to me by, you know, a teenager, okay? And I was like, let me have that over ribeyes. What was I thinking? And I thought they were foolish. Like, what are you guys doing? You're wasting your time when I got Mickey D's, Holmes. And they're over there like, oh, yeah, ribeye. And then I was converted. The glories of bovine flesh. Oh, I mean, it was fantastic. And I, how could I ever eat that garbage? Chicken glue reconstituted and, and fried and served to me after it's long been dead. And I could have a freshly killed piece of cow. And my parents were picking up the bill. It was free cow. Well, they're better than free steak, and now, how could I ever think that way? That is what spiritual death is. You cannot see how good God is. You cannot see how wonderful He is. You cannot see how much you need a resurrection. And that is why, hopefully, through the hearing of the Word of God, your heart is being moved and turned, that you can see that you were eating McDonald's when steak was available. That's spiritual death in life, and He has conquered it. Secondly, I want you to know Jesus and his whipping of death, he overcomes physical death. Now, this is the thing that I want you to know, that you will die physically. Unless the Lord returns, you, every person will die physically, and you will have a funeral or your body will be placed in the ground or something will be done with your body. You will die. It's going gonna, it's gonna to win in some sense. However, because Jesus is risen, Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. I want you to know this. Everyone will die, but those in Christ will rise and have a new body, and it is not the end. So if you've ever been to a funeral and you thought it was weird that the people were not, they were really heartbroken and really hurt and really sad, but there was an, there was an a real joy, a real peace, a real love, a real excitement that the fact that, they're per, that they're, the person they loved is no longer here, but they're with Jesus. I want you to know something. That is weird, but that is the good kind of weird. That's the one, because I know this. I, I planned these messages while I was trying to write my grandmother's funeral service. 
Thank God she's been given a reprieve, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen today, but I had the stench of death in my nostrils. I was writing this, and I believe it. Because he is risen, it's a historically verifiable fact. Because he is risen, he will raise those of us who are in him to new life, and so death won't even be the one thing that beats us. He has crushed it. He has crushed death. And it, it, the grave won't hold us because it couldn't hold him, and we are in him. And that is the way we can look at death, and we can know the hurt, but we won't know that ultimate sting because it will be swallowed up in victory. And Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, death is swallowed in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ our Lord. And so when we put our people in the ground, when we have to put those in Christ in the ground, I know something. They're going to get up. And until that day, to be apart from the body, to be present with the Lord, and their soul is with Jesus. I want you to know something. We have a hope that beats death. Death is dead. And one day it will be finished with. And I want you to know, some of you are here today, and I hope you hear me, because you're not maybe so concerned about your death, but you've been hurt, and you have been, it's the death of someone else, it's a child, it's the death of, of a loved one, somebody who has put, it's put you in a place that you don't think you can get over it. I want you to know something. If he beat physical death, he can conquer your broken heart. You don't have to be the victim anymore. That does not have to be, that stands, be the thing that stands in the way of your freedom. That does not have to be the thing that defines you and makes you bitter. You can know freedom because if he can raise a body, he can mend your heart. So not even the death of other people can hold you back because abundant life is there and hope is there. There is so much hope in Jesus and in his resurrection. When they say he is not, he is not there, he is risen. There is victory over spiritual death. There is victory over physical death and all of its ramification. And finally, there is victory, and we can know eternal life. Eternal death is dead because of Christ. And I want to be very clear with you, and this is very, very something you need to understand, that because your sin is against such the greatness of God, you rightfully and I rightfully deserve, apart from Jesus, to suffer eternally for our sins because our sin is an eternal treason against the most holy God. Praise be to God, he did not leave us in that state. You remember that verse we went to at the beginning? For the wages, what we deserve, the consequences of sin is death. But what? The gift, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is life eternal. There's a resurrection that will happen, and we will live with him, and we will be united with him, and it's all because he beat the grave. This is not, you do not come to this by being good. You don't come to this by being religious. You come to this, it's a free gift which you must receive by faith and a trust in the work of Christ completed and he is risen and he bore sins and he, the penalty for sins has been accepted as a receipt. You see the resurrection and he's coming again, he's ascended and it, faith in his works makes us alive. That is how we receive the grace that has been given so we must, knowing that he beat the grave, we must take another step. And we must take a step out of death towards life. 
In 2003, right before Amy and I got married, we went on a mission trip to um, friendly West Virginia. That is the worst named town of all time. It was, it was not friendly. It was on the Ohio River, close to Ohio. It was rough. We went there, and we helped build a church, like the inside of it. Got a baptistry going and did this other stuff, and there was nothing. There was so little to do in that area for fun. We had a fun off day. We went to a prison. It was, yeah, there's a picture of it, okay? I apologize for the cowboy hat. I don't know what I was thinking. Remember, I was 19 or 20, so just hang on. Just, it, was, it was, you know, I apologize, okay? It was, it was covering the platinum blonde hair. I used to have all, a whole head of hair, and it's gone. And so there we were in that prison. We went to Moundsville, West Virginia. You can actually go look up this prison if you want to. It's kind of well-known. It was founded or built in 1876, and, and it actually functioned as a prison until 1995, they had over 100 executions in this prison. They did it in the prison, and they usually buried the inmates in the yard. So as you're walking around the yard, there's little heads, gravestones everywhere. This is maximum security. It was a rough place. And you could actually, they actually had the gallows still in place, and they scared us to death. Like, they were thinking it was funny. We were thinking, like, this is not cool. They actually had us outside, and they dropped a dummy from the gallows on a noose and, like, oh, hang there. Like, yeah, they killed over 50, executed 50 prisoners like that. We're like, this is not funny. This is really weird and heavy, okay? And then they had, they, we got to see the electric chair and where the rest of the people who hadn't been hanged were, that's how they were executed. And then at the end, the coup de grace, okay, you can tell you, we were having a really, we're having a blast in West Virginia. At the very end of it, they took us to death row. I will forever be changed by this experience. We went in that cell. It's for one person. That, the person on death row would have spent 23 hours a day in this cell. It was, I'm about five foot nine. It was maybe six foot two, six foot three clearance. So you felt cramped. If you, you could touch one, I could touch one end of the wall to the other. There was a toilet in there, a little kind of, you know, place to maybe a little table, and there was a bunk. They let each of us go into the death row cells, and then they slammed the door shut. I was not happy. And I'm trying to keep it together. I'm a 19-year-old kid. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm a big man, okay? Immediately, my claustrophobia just kind of hit, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine being in here for 23 hours a day for my entire life and knowing what's coming, that the electric chair or the noose is coming. And because of that, because these men had lived through that, on their cell walls were some of the most heinous pictures and drawings and words I had ever seen in my life. Just almost demonic just pictures of acts, uh, violence, and all sorts of things. It was horrible. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that apart from Christ, we are all on death row. And we are all enslaved to our sin. We are all caught in there, and we might rage against it. We might try other ways to get out of it. Our depravity, our soul's death, might be. we might write them on the wall. We might scream out in pain, but nevertheless, we are locked in the prison that leads to our death, which is sin. <laughs> but praise be to God in Christ 
the door can come open. And just the relief that I felt as that door swung open and know I can go home and I don't have to live on death row and I don't have to be in this torture anymore. That is what Christ has done in defeating death. Death is dead. It is no more. And I want you to know something. Here's a good word for you. Take the next step of faith. Believer, I want you to know something. You might have returned to your cell. You might be in this place where sin and your self-sorrow and and maybe even dealing with death or maybe dealing with your poor poor choices, you have come back and you have shut the door and you wanted to be in your cell again and you're wallowing in your sin and you're wallowing in your lack of hope. And I want you to know something. He already broke the lock. You can go ahead and leave. There's enough hope in Jesus for you to walk in the newness of life and whatever sin that you're dealing with, he's given you the power to overcome it through his spirit and he's given you the means of grace, his church and his word and so many things that you don't have to stay in there anymore because death is dead. The, the cage, the cell door is open. That's for you, believer. Now for you who've been coming for a while and you are hearing the good news, but you are not yet convinced, I want you to know something. Today is the day. I want you to know something. In Christ, that door can swing open. He beat death. You no longer have to be a slave to your spiritual death. You no longer have to fear physical death, and you will know eternal life. Repent and believe in Jesus. And some of you may be at this point where you need to make that, 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 that thing, you need to make that promise and that movement, that, that, that step of faith and repentance, you need to make that known. And so you need to come and talk to an elder and schedule a baptism where you can show everybody that you have died with Christ and you're now risen with him. And finally, those of you who've been far off, thank you for coming. If you're a first-time guest with us, we love people who can just come in here. And this is a really safe place. I hope you understand this. I know we've been talking about death today, but I hope you understand the reason I'm talking to you about death is because I want you to know life. And you may be here a first-timer, not really into the things of God. I want to invite you here. There's a way out of your prison. There's a way out of your sin. There is a way to life, and that's in Christ. And so you just need to take a step. What's the first step? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means this. Come back next Sunday. We open the Bible. We teach from the Bible. We'll show you God's Word, and we just give you a chance to see if it's true. Check it out. We don't. We don't, you know, you show up a couple times, we're not going to, like, you know, sink our teeth into you and, like, never let you leave, okay? I mean, that will, we'll, we'll be cool. You maybe want to go, and we're going to have some small groups starting tomorrow, actually, and you may want to know more about what it means to follow Christ. Maybe you just need to come and do that. There's some at people's homes. If you don't feel comfortable coming to church, then maybe you go to those homes. Maybe if you don't feel comfortable going to people's homes, which I can understand, you can come here. We're going to have one Bible study here at the church. You can come and learn more about Jesus. Here's what I would say. None of us can leave unmoved because of this. Death is dead. Death is real. It's nasty. It's horrible. It's coming. It's because of our sin. We're all on death row apart from Christ, but there is a way out in Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He whooped the grave. You don't have to stay in your cell. You can know freedom, and you can know life in the face of death. Death is dead because Christ is alive. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just celebrate the fact that death is dead. That there is a way 
to come out of death. And you are that way, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one comes out of death to life except through you. And so we pray, God, that as we have preached the word and as we have talked about it, God, that you would bring people to life, that you would take a Christian who is coming back in their cell and feel like there is no hope, that you would let hope be rampant in their lives. God, we pray for that person who's been coming for a while and has not yet put their faith in Christ. And prayer of the day is the day, and they would put their faith in you, and they would express that faith and the reality of it through the symbol of baptism, God. And we pray for those who are just new with us today. God, thank you for sending them. God, bless them, and bless them most importantly with they, that they could see the truth, and they just take a next step of faith in you. God, we're here. We're going to stand and sing in a minute, Lord, and we pray that you inhabit our praise and you, we pray that you let hope rise in us because you are risen. And in you, we can know victory over death, the last enemy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.